0: Hey everyone, and welcome to another edition of Responsive Design Weekly podcast. My name is Justin Avery, and I am your host and curator of the Responsive Design Weekly podcast and uh, the newsletter as well. Oh, all over the shop tonight. Uh, Every time I do this, I uh, I test the microphone for loudness, and uh, I keep it pretty quiet. And then as soon as I start, I peek out over the top. So I apologize to everyone your ears if it was too loud. Um, But we're back again. Last week, no, it was two weeks ago, I did uh, episode number two, uh, 297 of the newsletter. I think it was episode uh, 67 of the podcast. And I was really keen to keep it going. Um, And then the following week, I lost my voice. Uh, I got uh, got the flu uh, from the kids. And after uh, working from home on a day and, and telling them off lots, um, I had barely any voice, and I couldn't do the podcast, which was a real shame. And then this evening, I was supposed to have two podcasts on, so this one, and I'm also uh, jumping on another podcast show called uh, Block Thinking as well, where I'm going to talk to uh, one of the guys I met in Berlin for the Düsseldorf, uh, Berlin for the Berlin for the Beyond Tellerrand Conference. Um, so that should be really exciting, but we got uh, timings mixed up. So in the UK, we're an hour ahead of Europe, so when I was supposed to chat to them, they thought it was an hour earlier, I thought it was an hour later, um, so we're going to do that next week, but this week, uh, what have we got? We've got a few things which I'm uh, covering um, this week in the newsletter. It's episode 299 in the newsletter, which I think is, ah, oh, I'm so excited, I'm so, so amazed that, uh, that Episode three coming up. I never thought uh, it would ever arrive, or I, when I set out, I never thought it would. I, I didn't know what to expect. I was uh, I was chuffed when it got to fifty, when it got to a hundred, when it got to two hundred. Uh, two fifty seems I was going to say two fifty seems like ages ago. It was it was almost a year ago, um, and now it's at three hundred, uh, and it's just it's it's unbelievable. Uh, it's it's really cool. But I've got some cool things coming up for next week. So over the years, uh, I've been in touch with uh, a whole bunch of different people who have uh, run advertising on the site and sponsored it and helped out, which has been super awesome. Uh, so I've gone back to a few of them uh, to see if they would be willing to donate some stuff for the special 300th edition. So I've got some, some nice giveaways for the subscribers, which should be quite cool, um, because after all, they, they make up. Uh, they make up everything, and I, and I might do the same for um, in a couple of editions time for the podcast as well. If we can get this up to a hundred, then we can do some some cool giveaways as well. Fingers crossed! But let's check out this week in responsive land or front end web land. Um, Jeremy Keith has been uh, traveling a bit. Um, I love Jeremy. He he goes under the the name of uh, Addictio. Um, for his site, uh, he does amazing stuff. He's always giving to the community. He does amazing talks. He, he just has his finger on the pulse, and he's just this calming influence over the web. I think. He never loses his head over stuff. Never gets into flame wars about things. Even things he feels really strongly about, he kind of tells it in a in a in a calm way. Um, but this week he's been writing. He's written two really great articles, which I've really liked. Which is around service workers and progressive web apps. So it, I think Jeremy falls more into the uh, the the group of, uh, of folks who believe anything should be a progressive web app. If you've got a website, why not just make it progressive by adding a service worker and making something available offline to people? There is some other people who think websites should just be websites, and if you're offline, don't. Don't just put an offline page up there because that's not what people are used to and and you should only build progressive web apps if if it's a web app itself. Um, I'm with Jeremy. I think everyone could do with some offline stuff. Um, It just helps and it it doesn't take that much really. Um, And what he's done uh, in in a headline this week is um, with the help of uh, a gentleman called Jake Archibald who works um, with Google, uh, he's come up with like a, an MVP, like a Minimal Viable Product or a minimal Minimum Viable Service Worker. Now, what this is is a, a kind of one-size-fits-all service worker that could be applied to just about any site. Now, the issue with this is it's like trying to apply a, a framework or trying to apply a JavaScript file for a site. Um, or a SaaS setup or a grunt flow setup to a site. Each site is different, so each site requires slightly different things. And it's very difficult to have a vanilla thing that you can just put over the top of a site. And and the same thing goes for service workers. It's very difficult to have a vanilla service worker which can be applied to everything, but he's done a really great job. And and the crux of it, there's there's two kinds of requests. There's requests for HTML, so kind of like your content. And there's requests for files that um, go along with that HTML. So things like CSS, JavaScript, uh, images, SVGs, uh, PDFs, whatever else your files are. Um, And the idea is that with this service worker applied to your site, if you make a request for a web page... It will look to the network first. So web pages, it always tries to get a copy from the network. If it can't reach the network, it will then look to the cache to see whether or not, so the offline version, to see whether or not that web page exists there and then it will return that web page. So network first, then fall back to the cache. So you're never going to be in a situation where you're on the network and you will retrieve an older version of a page because it's retrieving it from the service worker cache. So that's great. On the flip side for the files, so for CSS and JavaScript and images, it will look first to the cache and then if it can't find it in the cache, it will go out to the network to find. Now the cool thing about both of them is when it goes to the network, so for the HTML version, when it goes to the network to get the page, it will bring it back, but it will also drop a version in cache as it's requested it. So the next time you go and visit that page, if you're offline goes to the network to find it, it can't find it, it falls back to the cache where the previous version of the page exists and you will be able to see it, which is really cool. Now, if you come online again, and that page has been updated, then you go to access it, it'll go to the network, it will get the updated version from the network, the most recent version, and it will drop that into the cache and then it will also return you the the page from the network. So again, you go offline again and you get the updated version um, from the cache. So it always keeps it fresh. On the flip side, so the other, other way of doing it, when uh, you request a, a CSS file or a JavaScript file, it will go to the cache first to find it and then it will return it. Um, and then if it goes out to the network to get it, it will update the cache version. So you may be in a situation where you request a, a HTML page, you, you get the CSS back, but it's the old version of the CSS Well, because it's returning that version of the CSS from the cache, at the same time, it gets it from the network and updates the cache. So the next time you refresh it, you will get the updated version. So that's really cool. I really like that idea. And it also means that as you browse a website, the HTML pages are continually added to your cache. So the next time you go back, you'll be able to see the version's uh, like the the pages that you visited before, which generally is going to be what you want to do. Uh, the other thing, what else does he included in it? Oh, so there's also a fallback as well. So if you go online and you can't find it in the network and it's not in the cache either, there is an offline page just to tell you that the page is offline as well. So it's really really cool. All you need is to Go to I say all you need. It's not that simple, um, depending on your experience. But if you go and visit uh, Jeremy's site, um, you'll be subscribed to the newsletter. You can go and follow that link. If not, you should subscribe um, and then download download the service worker. So copy and paste either the the JavaScript into service worker and then apply the code to your HTML file or to your website, and it will start doing its stuff. Um, test it. If there's anything wrong with it, get in touch with Jeremy, shoot him a note and let him know the bugs that you're experiencing. Try and solve them yourself. That'd be cool. Uh, and then let him know what you did to overcome that problem. Or he's he's very helpful. He's just looking for uh, use cases now. So if you can if find a, a time where it's not working, he might be able to fix that for you as well. So thank you very much, Jeremy and uh, Jake for, for creating that and setting that up. Uh, and then the follow-up one is around like a really good use case. Uh, is looking at the Travago website, which has implemented service workers and says therefore like a progressive web app. Uh, and it offers you an offline page when you're when you're not online, which is great. Um it's got some branding, and I think there's a little maze. I think there's a maze game he was saying um, that appears on it. and I think that's great. The, the Guardian did something similar where if you go to the Guardian. At least at this time, uh, or the time that I looked at it, it was certain pages on the Guardian because they hadn't all gone over to HTTPS. Uh, But if you went to certain pages, um, you would get the progressive web app, which would be an offline crossword. So you could still do a crossword even though you weren't connected to the internet, which I thought was, was really cool. And his suggestion for Trivago or for, for travel type sites is that if you've got itineraries, if you've got something relating to you that you might want to be able to access when you're in a foreign country or somewhere where you might not have access to uh, lots of data or an internet connection at all, then why not cache that? So at least when you go there, if you're offline, you can at least see your itinerary and know what you're going to do next. Um, there was, some also, it was an interesting tweet that I saw this week as well from uh nicole nguyen uh from oh i can't remember i think she's a uh, a writer um and it was i'm going to find out what where she writes because that's that's an awful awful approach i'll just do some quick googling um she is at buzzfeed news um And it was a a chart from Netflix about the usage patterns and it showed how many people signed up on the different devices, so mobile, tablet, desktop, and uh, television, and then their usage pattern after that. So it's it's really interesting how, and probably quite obvious if you think about it, for Netflix is lots of people sign up. So if they had 40% of people sign up on their computer, uh, 30% on their mobile phone and 5% on tablet. But a quarter of people sign up on their televisions. But after a month of viewing, it's kind of like 50% of people are using the TV for watching and all of the other ones start dropping. So most of the people that use their mobile phones for signing up, um, of the 30% that use it, only 10% end up using it to watch uh, for the Laptop, 40% of people who signed up for it, only 15% continue to watch it on their laptop. And TVs end up going up to 70% of the usage pattern. I just thought it was really interesting because we always look at uh, people are doing things on mobile. More and mobile is the future and everyone's going to be using mobiles and tablets. And we have to optimize for that, which is absolutely true. um, But it's a, a responsive world and there's more than just mobiles and tablets there are televisions there's watches there's fridges there's billboards people will engage in your content where they see fit and where they sign up may not always be where they will continue to engage with that content so it's always important to, to continue to track and, and follow and and see how your users are consuming content and, and make sure that it looks its best in those areas as well um, Brendan Dawes also has a really great article this week all about backing your stuff up. Um, I've been uh, trying to get my backups and, and data sorted uh, for a while as as the kids get older, taking far more photos. Um, and if my laptop crashed and I didn't have a backup, you kind of lose like years of their lives because no one prints stuff anymore. We don't take pictures on film anymore. Um also i've got a ton of work on my laptop that i do uh the notebook stuff that i do i've got websites that i've been building um i've got old proposals i've got current proposals i've got my day job stuff that sit on sits on there as well not like as well as all the photos and family stuff and if if the hard drive just crashed that that's a lot of information just to lose it's like losing Part of your life, um, so he goes through all of his different backup strategies. He uses Drobo, he uses some Dropbox, um, Time Machine. There's a whole bunch of different ones. So it's a really good article if you want to get into that and just make sure that you're covered. Um, backing up stuff, it, it's a costly exercise as well. Don't don't expect that you're going to be able to back all your stuff up for free and and be free forever. It's just it's just not going to happen. But what it will do is it will save you the money that you will have to pay to get a technician to unpick your hard drive and get the data off it, um, and the hassle as well, and just the dread of losing everything and having to do stuff from scratch again. Just horrific. Um, another one uh, which sort of brings us to sort of today, it's um, or it will be yesterday by the time you're listening to this, uh, but on uh, Thursday the 8th. Uh, it was International Women's Day, so a big thank you to all of the international women, um, or for all the women around the world for doing all the wonderful things that you do. Um, and in I suppose web development ways, uh, or in in this in this industry, uh, the the next article comes from someone who who I think has probably contributed the most to this area in the past twelve months. So there's a couple couple of people who have um and it's just it's rachel andrews she's written an article about css grid one year on um it was a year ago now that css grid shipped in firefox uh and then all the other browsers followed suit and i think it's fantastic that the the web has moved so quickly and swiftly and and we've all kind of just picked up css grid and started using it in our personal projects um uh, last week, one of the uh, the feature images was uh, I did another example of and again, oh, I can't remember who, what it was. It was uh, Susan Jean Robertson uh, redesigned her blog uh, using the CSS grid, and she is an absolute demon front end developer. Uh, I really like the stuff that she's done in the past. Um, I I picked her up as a as a legend, as I was, I was writing it, and she would. I, I check with people when I when I do a review of their site, um, just to make sure that I'm not getting anything wrong, um, and to just get more insight into how they built it. And she wrote back, and she was very kind, and she explained uh, some areas which I had misinterpreted uh, as to as to why she was doing certain things, which was awesome. Uh, for her to clear up but she was really modest She's like, can you please not refer to me as a legend I'm just someone working in front-end development trying to, to make my way in, and learn it and I thought it was lovely because she is really really good at uh, her craft um, but also incredibly humble and and it reminds me that we all struggle and we all um, try hard to to keep learning and, and keep uh, keep developing sites and and trying to stay on top of this crazy world of uh, web development that keeps moving in a very quick way. So yeah, uh, Rachel Andrews really good article, and uh, the other person who has done so much uh, as well as Jen Simmons, who has this uh, CSS uh, layout land YouTube channel, which I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago as well. It's a great set of videos. Um Mozilla have uh employed Jen to, to do these sets of videos. It's mainly around the CSS grid, but it's all about CSS layouts and how to get the most out of layouts and, and how to push the boundaries while still staying true to design. Um it's a really yeah, it's super great. Um what other what else? There's been some other stuff. Oh there's a whole bunch of other stuff and I'll pick one more which is uh something which is been been on my mind a little bit so I use WordPress uh, for doing uh, a lot of sites because I find it super easy uh, to set up and and get going because I'm used to it it's also very simple to teach someone how to continue to maintain a site moving forwards as well um, and they've developed this new uh, uh, content editor and it's called uh, Gutenberg. And so by content editor I mean like the WYSIWYG that you use to type in the words to make them appear on your site. And over the few last few years we've had things like Medium come along which has tried really hard to focus on the ability for inexperienced people to have a beautiful writing experience and to make the content that they're writing appear beautiful by giving them uh, simple options and templates to really bring to life the content. And Medium did a really good job of that. It's really hard to write an ugly Medium article because of the frameworks that they put in. Now, within WordPress, it's a huge encouragement, like it's a, um, it allows a lot of people to get online really quickly but it's very easy to create unattractive WordPress or difficult-to-read WordPress sites. And it's it's not what we're after. We want the content to be easy to consume and to look great. So they hadn't touched a WYSIWYG for, for years. They hadn't changed. They'd done tweaks to the to the Word editor, but they hadn't really overhauled it. And Gutenberg is supposed to be the overhauling of it. Now what it does is it allows you to create things like medium. So if you wanna put a huge big block quote in there, you can, you can add a block and then you can put your quote in there and it's styled beautifully. If you wanna put a full width image in there, you can do that and you've got control over it. So it really gives you more artistic control over the content you're dropping in. Now I installed it on uh, the local WordPress version that I've got here. And tried it with the responsive design.is is site, and it's it's great. It does allow you to create these beautiful uh, articles um, and be more art directed, and, and give an editor the ability to to be more expressive. But I also for the resources section and for the podcast section, and the examples section. In fact, just about every section, uh, I have. Um, I have advanced custom fields applied because I don't just want a title and then a block of text, which you would normally get for a blog post in WordPress. Uh, when I create pages or um, yeah, creating a, like document types, like the example, um, I work out what content is going to appear in the page, what content I want to be consistent, how I want that content to be arranged, and that then defines how, um, how I chunk the content up in the CMS because I want to be able to place certain bits of content in certain areas and reuse certain bits as many times as I want or use certain bits as search terms or provide certain uh, elements in an API for people to request. So I'm very very specific in how I create my content matrix. So there's loads of these advanced custom fields to chunk up information. Now when I pu- applied Gutenberg, those advanced custom fields disappeared from the editor. So th- they didn't get deleted from the database, they didn't disappear from the front-end templates. They just I I just wasn't able to edit ones that were already there if I was going to edit Um, a previous uh, page that I created or if I created a new example page or a new resource I wasn't able to access those to to fill in the details I needed instead I just had this beautiful writing experience in Gutenberg now Gutenberg does offer a uh, custom blocks so you're able to create blocks in the back end which will have the fields that you require or you might require Um, to be able to be dropped in to the site, which I suppose is a a replacement of advanced custom fields. The only issue with that is once you create a custom block, from what I understand, is that you can add that custom block as many times as you want, and it's then down to the content creator or the content editor to make sure that you order the blocks in the right way that you want to appear uh, on the front end of the site. Now that, for me... uh, moves away from the templated way that I want the resources to, to be laid out or the examples I want things to be laid out in the same way so people going back will always know that they get the the content in a certain order and they can always find the right stuff. And also programmatically, I want to be able to specifically um, make an API request to pull out certain content which are within certain fields. So I'm not sure how Gutenberg's going to address that, but it's the one thing which I think is a is a failure at the moment for including Gutenberg um, into your WordPress site. It does look as though Gutenberg's going to be included as part of WordPress, and that's it's just going to ship with it eventually. But seeing as WordPress powers... Twenty-five percent of the internet, and Automatic, which is the company who who look after WordPress.com, um, it's their business. They're not gonna they're not gonna do anything to the product which alienates people and destroys x amount of the sites that are currently running. They're gonna find a way that allows things to exist in harmony together. Um, they may make some some rash changes, but I can't see them doing something which will mean that the stuff that I've got uh, will no longer work and I don't have an upgrade path in WordPress anymore. So I don't want you to think that that's gonna happen but at the moment, uh, you can get Gutenberg as a plugin. I highly recommend downloading it and installing it on your local version of your WordPress site. Um, If you don't have a local version of your WordPress site, there is a uh, application called Local by Flywheel It's tremendous, so Flywheel offer WordPress hosting. It's quite expensive, but um, really, really good. And they offer this free uh, tool which allows you to set up uh, WordPress instances locally. So I I always do that and then I use um, uh, WP Migrate Pro to pull my live version of the site locally and then I just use an FTP client to pull down my theme files. Um, and then I've got an exact replica of my live website on my laptop that I can do testing with as well. So that's quite cool. Anyway, so that's that's about it for this week. Uh, I wanted to keep uh, keep the podcast going um, and try to stay as frequent as possible. So I thought if we can continue to go through the weekly links and you can sort of hear it ear bloggy style instead of getting it uh, in your in, the, uh, in your inbox as well. So that's all for me this week. Thank you again for joining. Like I said, the 300th edition is coming up next week. So if you are not already a subscriber, please go over. Uh, you can subscribe at the bottom of the page on responsivedesign.is or if you visit responsivedesignweekly.com, you can subscribe there as well. Uh, if you would like to sponsor an edition of the newsletter or sponsor an edition of the podcast, you are more than welcome. Please get in touch. Uh, we can do um, sponsorship uh, for just about anything. Uh, the only requirement I have is that I would probably I would use it. If you weren't uh, sponsoring the show, then I would probably mention it anyway. Um, if I wouldn't mention it, uh, you're probably not going to be able to sponsor the show. Um, but then you wouldn't be listening to it either. So I think it's going to work both ways. Uh, and if you are an event, like a grassroots event, trying to get going and uh, get heard and, and get your word out uh, to, to a larger audience, please get in touch. Uh, I have uh, media sponsorship opportunities as well, or if you can, like, donate a uh, a, a, a ticket for, for a uh, one of the subscribers um, then there's no cost for the sponsorship we want to promote as many people as possible to to we want to promote you doing wonderful things to to the wonderful audience uh, so that's it for me you can also follow along on uh, at res on Twitter uh, and that's it thanks for tuning in we'll talk to you next week see you then bye